Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Alex Clark the athletic development coach for the Cronulla Sharks in the NRL. Alex has been involved in the preparation of elite athletes for over 15 years. Throughout his time, he's worked with both individual athletes, including Olympic and world champions, as well as the Hawthorne Football Club and Brisbane Lions. He's worked across a number of different sports and has presented on strength and conditioning at conferences and seminars in Australia and around the world. Before we start episode 60 of the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, our mission here is to inspire aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast or on iTunes, YouTube and Spotify. Here we are. How are you going, Alex? Hey, good, self. Yeah, going well, mate. We'll, we'll dive straight in. Well, welcome on board. Um, take us back to the very beginning. At what age did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning? Yeah, for me, it sort of started with swimming. Um, I was actually working as a pool lifeguard at a, at a private facility, and um, there were some really good athletes training there. It was a squad funded by the VIS, uh, the Victoria Institute of Sport, and um, you know, I was, I was just a, a casual lifeguard and uh, just finished my degree at the time. And uh, one of the coaches, Rowan Taylor, who's actually the head coach of the Australian swim team now, um, was coaching that squad. I had sort of kids from, um, you know, 14, 15 through to um, open national swimmers who, who competed, um, obviously, at the Olympics and world champs and that sort of thing. Um, so he said to me, would you be interested in, in coming on board as an S&C coach? We've, um, we need to replace one. So... Um, obviously jumped at the opportunity. Um, you know, I, I was pretty raw at the time, didn't know too much. And, um, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I look back on some of those programs that I wrote early on and, um, and scratch my head and shake my head. It's just, um, you know, as you do as a young strength and conditioning coach, make mistakes and learn from them. And, um, Rowan was really good. He gave me, um, free reign of the squad to sort of implement whatever I wanted to implement and, um, develop the program as I saw fit. So, that was really good and um, at the time there wasn't a heap of um, information out there in regards to strength and conditioning and, and swimming so um, I took a lot of inf- inspiration from guys like um, Vern Gambetta and Julian Jones and um, Anthony Georgie was doing some really good stuff at the, the QAS, QAS with his swimmers up in Queensland. Um, Bernard Savage was an exercise physiologist who worked um, pretty closely with that squad as well so um, that's sort of where it started and I worked there for four years and then um, that sort of, I suppose, developed into a internship with the Victorian Institute of Sport. So at the time there were, um, I think, two of us that applied for the SNC internship. Um, I'm sure they, they get a fair few more yeah. now, but it was just the two of us at the time and, um, you know, I applied for a, a sports science one to start with and then realised that, that probably there was a low likelihood of getting that role and. Uh, ended up meeting with the S&C crew of the, the Institute of Sport and and um, and went from there. So uh, that sort of did that for an internship for one year and then that um, that 
moved into a, a part-time role there working with a broad range of athletes, you know, um, hockey, soccer, tennis, um, started, you know, kept doing my swimming stuff and um, gave me a really good foundation, worked with some really good coaches. So that was sort of the start of it for me and then got the job at, um, at Hawthorne just, again, through Rowan who was, who was doing some, some casual stuff for the Hawthorne Footy Club and, and running some of the swim sessions for them. So, um, yeah, that's sort of where it started and um, I worked out, you know, I could earn a bit of a living from it, um, started to become really passionate about it um, and, and it was a full-time job too when I started at Hawthorne. So it was, you know, how good is this? I, um, I can, you know, not have to travel to three or four different locations in a one day and, um, you know, work with a, a, a really successful footy team and, and some really good people. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it's a, that's a um, it's a lot of different experiences that that you mentioned there uh, at the very beginning, uh, and it sounds like Rowan Taylor had a, had a strong influence on your career to to expose you to get those experiences, which is it's fantastic to have that support and, and someone to take you under your wing early days. Um, did you was your intention when you signed up to be a lifeguard um, to make a bit of coin to sort of watch the squad and and get a, and start to network and meet? guys like Rowan or did that sort of just eventuate naturally? Yeah, it just sort of organically grew, you know, um, spending time in that environment. It was, I thought it was pretty cool and swimming, I suppose, isn't really known for their strength and conditioning, but they, they did some good dry land stuff, what they call dry land training on the pool deck and um, that sort of heightened my interest in it, I suppose, and, and finishing my degree, I, I was, you know, one of those people that did human movement degree and didn't really know what I was going to do at the end of it. So, um, you know, that's, that certainly helped. Um, you know, ignite the flame and my passion for, for strength and conditioning early on. Awesome. And then you mentioned um, working in the, the VIS and a range of different sports. Uh, how did that go about? And, and, and also the shift from sports science more to strength and conditioning. What, what was sports science like at that time during the internship? Was it, what were you looking at? What sort of numbers? Yes, I, did, I didn't actually go down the sports science path. I, um, I applied for it and I went into the, the pool with all the other people um, who'd, who'd come out of a, I suppose, exercise science human movement degree and, and had interest in, in going down that path. So um, did that and, and got rejected the first time. And then I said, well, I didn't really, wasn't really interested in sports science, more um, interested in strength and conditioning. So ended up meeting with those guys and there were yeah. two of us that got, got interviewed and the other guy I think was just doing for more for placement hours than anything else. So, um, you know, I was able to get in there and, and work with some really good people. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, gotcha. Okay, cool. And then um, you got the opportunity there and you're also still working with the swim team. Um, what was your role at Hawthorne? Yeah, so I, I sort of finished up, I think, six months into working at, with Hawthorne um, doing the swimming stuff. It just became a little bit too much to try and juggle all of that. And I think the Olympic cycle was over. So um, it was a pretty good time to sort of part ways um, with Rowan and the swimming squad. But when I first started at Hawthorne, it was it was to assist um, the strength and conditioning coaches, really, which was two of them. It was Andrew Russell and Peter Burge, and um, it was, you know, Burgey did the, the strength program and the GPS and um, sort of needed someone else to help out with that. So I took on the role as an assistant strength and conditioning coach, and then that sort of moved into more of a, uh, a rehab role based off some of the stuff that I was doing at the, the VIS, which was, um, I suppose, you'd, you'd term it functional. Um, back then it was a little bit different from what you know the stuff other people were doing and it sort of fitted right in quite nicely with the rehab um, model so 
I um I was sort of moved more into that area and work work with the physios on the rehab stuff. And and when you signed up for your sports science degree, what was your like was your focus elite sport? Was it gen pop? You mentioned that you didn't really have a goal with it, but what 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 did you see yourself gravitating towards in hindsight now? Like was it AFL footy at the time or NRL? Uh, uh, yeah. Olympic Olympic sports. To be brutally honest with you, I had no idea. So I just liked sport. Um, I didn't really like too much of the science. I wasn't overly interested in the biomechanics. Um, but I, I did sort of gravitate, I suppose, later in that degree towards the, the strength and conditioning. I liked elite sport. Um, I liked the coaching element of it. Dad, you know, Dad was a teacher for 40-something years. Um, so I sort of, I suppose I, I liked, um, you know, the coaching and the teaching component of of um you know doing doing the uh what i was doing so yeah awesome and then you got some great experiences with peter burge and andrew russell it sounds like by yeah assisting those guys which is a good taste of uh the conditioning the strength and then you mentioned the, the data analytics as well and then um you progressed on to rehab for those that are not aware of how rehab works what what would that look like what would be a typical week and how many athletes would you work with during the week um, oh, I could range from anywhere from, you know, one or two through to, um, I think at Brisbane Lions, we had, you know, 18 or, or 20 in the rehab group at one stage, which was, you know, it was probably a disaster at the time, but, um, I was probably more involved in the late stage rehab. Um, Andrew Lambert, who was a physio there and, and Randall Cooper looked after the early stage stuff. And, um, I was probably more looking after the players that were in that reconditioning mold um so that that's sort of you know what it looked like back then and and um and certainly I, I sort of had a similar sort of role at brisbane after a couple of years there yeah yeah and take us through that so how long were you at hawthorne and, and how did the opportunity come with brisbane were you starting to look for, for other clubs or were you approached while at hawthorne but yeah I was, I was definitely sort of i think in this industry you always have to be looking to see what else is out there and um, I'd certainly I'd spent four years at Hawthorne, so I learned a heap from from Jack and Bergie and um, really really keen to run my own my own program. And an opportunity came up through um, well, actually one of my mentors at the VIS, Chris Hink. So um, you know that that came up, and then it was a, it was a head strength role. So it's an opportunity to move into state, work with different players, um, see something different, and and further sort of develop as a coach, I suppose. So. Um, went up there and did the the head strength role for two or three years, I think, and then our rehab coordinator left. So um, I sort of moved into that that gap that he'd left and and took up a lot of the rehab stuff. Um, given I had a little bit of an experience at it, um, doing it at Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's um, two huge clubs. Um, what sort of finals campaigns were you involved in with your time at Hawthorne, Brisbane? Um, so at Hawthorne, I think we. Um, Got knocked out. Oh no! So we won the first final, and then um, it was a really young group at the time, and I don't think too many people sort of expected much success. So we got over the line against Adelaide at uh, Etihad Stadium. Buddy kicked a goal from the from the boundary. We ended up winning that one. So that was a great experience. You know, first first uh, role in an AFL club, and um, we'd won a final. And then I think we got our pants pulled down the next week against North Melbourne. Um, you know, we were sort of uh, still riding that, that win. And um, so that was a really good learning experience for the players, I think, you know, um, and we took that into the next season and won the uh, premiership in 08, uh, which, again, was a fantastic, fantastic thing to be a part of, uh, fantastic experience. And 
Um, then I think we made the finals the next – no, sorry, we missed the finals the next year and then made them but lost uh, week one the year after and, um, yeah, didn't make any finals at Brisbane. So, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of two different experiences, I suppose. We um, had a really young group at Brisbane and were still developing and, um, yeah, that, that was a tough environment to, to be in. At what point in the 08 season – was there a bit of inner belief that the group could go all the way or did, or did that just sort of come? Was it a, the classic week by week where you just focus on the opponent in front uh, of Yeah. Yeah, it really was because Geelong had been so dominant all, all year. I think they'd lost two games or something that whole season. So, um, you know, our expectations were sort of let's make the finals and see how far we can go. But, um, you know, we, we played some really good games and it, it really wasn't until we were there. It was like, you know, and even I remember going to the grand final thinking this is a great experience, I'm going to soak it up. Um, don't expect to win, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great experience for, you know, young coach to be, to be where I am. So I'm just going to enjoy it for, for what it is. I sort of remember getting to the ground about, you know, three, three hours before the game started just to soak it all up. And, um, yeah, to win it, I suppose. Um, we faced a fair bit of adversity. You know, we lost a couple of players during the game to injury and, um, you know, to, to come through and win it with the group that we had um, was really yeah, was special, yeah. And you, you've had um, you know, a few different roles that you've mentioned there over your time at Brisbane and, and Hawthorne, so the assistant S&C role, um, rehab, and then head of strength. How does the game day role change? Um, and, and do you always have a game day role for the, for the fitness professionals uh, listing that want to work in sport? Um, yeah, I've sort of I've had a few different game days roles. So at Hawthorne, I was um, I was doing the interchanges. So um, there wasn't a lot of technology around um, like there is now, as far as you know, doing rotations and interchanges and um, positional matchups and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of developed a spreadsheet, which is incredibly basic. It was just it was literally putting numbers in cells to add up to however long a player had been on the ground. So Andrew Russell would say to me, "We want to you know keep track of." maybe eight players, um, you know, so you're in charge of that. And I sat, sat on a bench with a laptop and, and literally punched in numbers all game. So I didn't, didn't watch too much of the game. But um, looking back, it was probably, you know, um, it was a pretty important role. And then um, as that developed over time and, and technology got better, I started doing that at Brisbane a little bit as well. So um, it was much easier then with the, with the technology. You can pretty much get a spread of, you know, full 18, 18 players on the ground. Um, so I did that, did game day runner, so running messages, which was, which was interesting, getting yelled at by the coach, um, most of the game. So you got to yeah. have reasonably, reasonably thick skin to do that. Um, and then also a nutrition role. So just making sure the boys stayed hydrated and all that sort of thing, uh, when they came off the ground. But yeah, it can vary, you know, it, it depends on, on where you fit into the picture. Um, obviously the game day is, is all about the players performing. So. Uh, as an S and C coach, you, you probably you just need to um, you know fit in where you can and and help out where you can. And th- were those roles necessarily suited to you, what you brought, or were they just like you fitting in gaps? And like you mentioned, as an S and C, it's all about the players. Um, were they because you had experience being in a runner at other clubs and and you were the guy, or was it because that role was all that put the the role that you were in was always the runner? Take us through how the sort of footy club get, like decides those game day roles. Yeah, was, I, I went up to Brisbane with a mentality that I'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone. So, you know, I, I hadn't been a straight, head strength coach before. Um, I hadn't really sort of developed my own 
program. So that was that was a big thing for me is, is to put myself out of the comfort zone. So when when I was sort of looking around the room and said who wants to be game day runner, I put my hand up and said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a crack at it. But um, I don't have a background in AFL. I enjoy the sport. I've grown up in Melbourne, so um, I understand it. But um, yeah, that, that that was me sort of putting myself out of my comfort comfort zone and and doing something a little bit different and uh yeah it was it was um yeah it was an interesting experience you you certainly see it from a different perspective um i think as a as a strength coach or a conditioning coach or whatever it is rehab coach you you sort of get locked into your own area but to see you know the end result and how it all plays out in the field is is, um is really important so i suppose i'd encourage all sort of young snc's you can do that at a at a um you know, community level or grassroots level um, in any capacity that's um, give you a better understanding of the sport itself. Yeah, it's a good point. We'll be right back after this short break to explain our most popular coaching program. I want to introduce you to Prepare Like a Pro Individualized. You'll train like a true professional with an intelligently designed program. We ensure everything is covered optimally prepare yourself for game day. This premium package is for those that want a personal coach in their corner. The individualization starts with an in-depth questionnaire to really understand your goals and where you need support. Your coach will then tailor your program to suit around your school, work and sporting schedule. We will derive a Get Better plan, the GBP, which will be a step-by-step progression to help you achieve your dreams of elite performance. The GPP program takes a holistic approach. We focus on individualised running and gym work to help make you the strongest and fastest version of you, as well as a comprehensive lifestyle coaching around nutrition, sleep and stress management. We use objective measures such as GPS, your technique footage and gym loads to provide you with progress reports. You'll be learning from our presentations, taking food diaries, tracking your sleep and learning how to nail your recovery. Our multifaceted approach aims to build you into the best athlete you can be, allowing you to change direction quicker, jump higher, run faster, and repeat high intensity efforts for longer. Overall, you become more focused on the field and resilient to injury. Ultimately, if you want to prepare like a pro, this is the package for you. Head to our Inquire Now page and we will contact you today. How you mentioned that perception, uh, having that different perspective after being runner and, and being like, you know, it's almost like you're the 24th player in a sense that like you're getting a real, really close with the players and the group and, and what sort of hits they're getting and how fatigued they are and all that sort of thing. How, how would it influence you the following the week in terms of your strength loading and individual management, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's probably not, not so much on game day. Um, it's probably the follow up that happens the next day of recovery and having those conversations with the players and, um, and the physios and, and, you know, post their assessment, seeing how the players have recovered. But it certainly does affect what you do with them during the week. Um, working in the NRL at the moment, you know, our guys, are, they, it's a it's a collision-based sport. You know, there's some brutal collisions and um, it certainly influences what you can prescribe during the week, um, you know, depending on how they, they pull up. So, um, whereas AFL is a little bit more of a running-based game. So, you, you probably have to be a little bit more mindful of how you're, Load of lower body and, and things like that, but um, yeah, c- certainly being out there, you, you get a different perspective on players. Players act differently on game day, respond to you differently on game day. Some are really calm. Um, Simon Black was not really calm. He was he was really 
quite difficult. The politest guy to ever meet, but on game day, was just had a, a completely different persona, um, whereas Jonathan Brandy could have a, a, a good conversation with, you know, with a minute to go in the last quarter and, and scores a level. He, you, you could have quite a calm and, and um, coherent conversation with him. Yeah, okay, interesting. And, and how do you go about managing those different players? Are you, are you, are you, when you're interpreting the, the coach's um, feedback, uh, I imagine you've got to say it word for word, but would you try and communicate it differently or you just don't get the opportunity to when you're delivering the message? Yeah, absolutely you have to and um, you, you tone it down as best you can. Some know, like once you run out there and they'll, they'll put their hand up and they'll say, to, oh, no, I oh, know, oh, no, I should have done this or should have done that. Like they're you know, very aware of what's just happened. So um, whereas some don't want to hear it, some just, you know, in the zone and um, not interested in, in anything other than the, the footy. So you sort of you're almost wasting your time with some of them, but um, you know some can be quite receptive. So it really depends on their personality and and what they're like on game day and how that changes from what they normally are. Yeah, and you mentioned um, getting out of your comfort zone and 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 how you're um, keen on getting that running your own program after your four years at Hawthorne. Um, what were some of the aspects of the role of running your own program found most challenging, and and what were the aspects that you enjoyed? Um, I think the biggest ones probably trying to get player buying. I think the program that I brought up there um, was a little bit different from what they had been doing. So uh, there was already a couple of strength coaches that were up there um, that had different backgrounds from from what I did. So me coming in there and saying, you know, this is what we did at Hawthorne and it worked really well and we got good outcomes. Um, and they're like, well, that's great, but this is what we do and we feel that we get good outcomes from doing this. And um, it was probably trying to meet them halfway early on and then um, influence the program, you know, the way I wanted it to be to be run, or what I wanted it to be to look like. Um, a little bit later down the track was was probably the most challenging thing. Yeah, it's a it's a good point because you're coming into a new environment, um, but then you're the you're the leader in that in that environment. So uh, for for guys that are in that similar position, are there certain things that you could uh, advise that you do to build that rapport with the players, but also with with your you know your team? Um, in, in yeah, getting that connection with your staff. Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's about building trust. So once someone trusts you, then they're more likely to buy in what you're trying to trying to sell. So um, you know, if you can give them parts of the program where they've got ownership of it, then they're they're probably going to be much more receptive. Um, whereas if you keep them at at arm's length and say this is the way we're going to do things, and you run a, a dictatorship, then they you're probably going to get a fair bit of pushback. So. Um, I think it's, it's building that trust in, in one another and developing a, a good relationship where, um, you know, they've got ownership over parts of the program um, and that they can do as they see fit within the framework of, of what you feel is appropriate. That's that's probably um, the best way to, to go about it, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And then take us through the role that you're now doing um, in the development role at uh, – athlete development role at NRL with the Cronulla Sharks. Yeah, so um, – I suppose I'll just give you a bit of background on how I got involved in rugby league. I um, I finished up with uh, Brisbane after five years. So I spent nine years working in the AFL and then um, I started to look around for a few different jobs and the feedback that I was getting that was that I um, I didn't have a diverse enough skill set, so I'd only really worked in AFL. Um, so I went over to China uh, following that to work with track and field for six months and the lead up to the to the Rio game so that was certainly a, a different experience and I could sit here all night and tell you about some of the stuff I saw and, and learnt and all that sort of stuff yeah. over in China but um, 
coming back, I um, I wanted to continue that and to continue working in different sports and um, was lucky enough to get a job with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So um, went into that without really understanding fully the, the intricacies of the sport and um, just knowing that they'll be guys and they'd probably like to, to shift in. So, um, yeah, worked there for three years and then jumped across to the Sharks uh, at the start of last season. So, um, it's yeah, I've, there's uh, three of us in the, I suppose, the strength and conditioning department, high performance manager, another S&C coach. So, um, we look after the guys and, um, you know, I'll look after primarily the strength and speed program uh, for the whole group. Um, it's, it's a little bit different from AFL where you, you get guys that have come through, especially the Sharks have got really good junior junior reps um, team set up. So there's a, there's a really good progression through the NRL and, and guys learn how to lift with, with our coaches at, at that level and develop fundamental movement patterns and all that sort of thing. Um, so the, by the time that we get them, um, they're really competent lifters and move really well, and and that really makes it it easy for us to to um, you know write programs for them really and coach them because um, they've they've been through those systems with those coaches. Yeah, sure. And and you mentioned um, the motivation to expand and, and try different things. Um, was that advice from a from a mentor or from from other people, or was that something that you just you needed to do yourself personally. Um, yeah, yeah, take us through how you, yeah, especially going to China. That's a, that's um, really getting out of your comfort zone. I imagine with the language, yeah, and culturally. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I'd, I'd started applying for jobs, and and the feedback that I was getting was, I, uh, you know, I was um, only worked in AFL, and I think it was Rob Spurs at Sydney Swans sort of gave me that feedback that I need to go and potentially work at some different places, and. Um, which was really good because I worked at the VIS with different sports, and um, you know, after nine years, I probably probably needed to branch out. So I took that on board, and um, yeah, the, the opportunity came up in China, and um, you know, that was that was yeah, interesting to say the least. Yeah, I can imagine. You you mentioned your your passion was the coaching and teaching side of things. Um, how did you go about that with the yeah the communication barrier barrier and different cultural backgrounds and that sort of thing. yeah so i started off with uh four translators so uh, just young students who knew a little bit of english but um not a heap and ended up with two good ones so um there's a guy who's actually um living in melbourne now and studying physiotherapy so he was he was really good um he came on board and um it's you really have to change the way that you coach when you're dealing with those athletes it's um you know, by the time you see something and then deliver it to your translator or your assistant and then they deliver it to the athlete and the athlete has to change whatever they're doing, like the moment's passed, you don't have time for that. So um, you really have to be clear in, in what you're trying to get across and pick your moments as well. Like you can't be giving heaps of feedback and, and expecting the athletes to change based off what you're telling them. Um, mm. So, you know, that, that, that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a... a a really good experience and I'd encourage anyone who um, has got the opportunity to do it, go overseas and, and coach in a country that doesn't speak English. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then what, what did you notice when you came back to working, working in Australia um, with your communication skills and, and cues? Like what were the changes? Yeah, well, I definitely, I'll probably, I'll definitely give less verbal cues than I used to. Um, so I think sometimes, you know, based off that experience, we give athletes too many cues at the, at the one time. 
not much more about, you know, give you a couple of cues at the start. See if they make changes, correct their, their technique, um, and then sort of, um, you know, give them more, one or two more cues based off that. But I'm, I really like, you know, athletes to, to work it out for themselves, um, feel it, see it, you know, in a mirror or whatever it may be, film it, show them back. Um, I think gone are the days where we stand there and have to try and correct, you know, every little thing that, that could potentially be wrong with, you know, a squat pattern or, you know, some other movement pattern. And, um, yeah, so the, the rugby side of things, was that the similar sort of drive to, to expand and, and try another sport? Yeah, definitely. I sort of, I've always liked rugby league. I um, started watching Melbourne Storm games when I was living down in Melbourne, a little bit younger, and, and probably watched too much AFL and, and wanted to, you know, do something else and, and go and watch another sport. So I started watching the Melbourne Storm. So I'd always had an interest in, in rugby league, but it was certainly, yeah, to work with different athletes who are, you know, these guys are really strength, power, speed, dominant athletes. So, um, you know, if they're not competent in, in those areas, then they really struggle in the game. So it's, um, you know, I found it really interesting, really different. And, um, you know, it's, it's I'm really passionate about it at the moment, you know, like a sort of, AFL was really good. Spent nine years, nine years in that, but rugby league is is um is a really interesting interesting game. Yeah, and what was your role with the Dragons in the first um, team you worked with? Yeah, very similar. Um, head strength coach and looking after the speed program as well. So that was um that was a really good club to work for, and we had a bit of success down there. And um you know really really good athletes to work with and um. Yeah, like I said, really, really good in the gym because they've come through those those pathway systems. So um, you can add load pretty quick to to a lot of those guys and get get some really good outcomes. Awesome, mate. Well, uh, we've we've gone through a fair bit of your career. You've also created business Dual Performance. For for those that are not aware of what Dual Performance does, do you want to take us through a bit of a snapshot on on what you do with the business and and when it started? Yeah, it sort of started around about the same time I went to China. Actually, it was just. Um, but yeah, I wanted to start a little side project. Um, people like Grant Jenkins, um, you know, talk a lot about, you know, developing those other income streams as an S&C coach. So that's something I wanted to do. And I started putting out blogs and a little bit of information for, for strength and conditioning coaches to try and generate some interest in it. But um, I've sort of expanded, I suppose, at the moment. And, um, and we pretty much do online programs. So um, just regular gym users can um, sign up and, um, you know, get a get a strength program. It's a, it can be a generic one or it can be really specific based off their needs. And um, my wife's a sports physio, so we're looking to sort of expand that side of it and do some telehealth and and some other things in that space as well. So it's sort of a it's a little project that's going on in the background, but um, going really well at the moment. Yeah, awesome. You mentioned Grant Jen- Jenkins um, was front of mind when you started your own business for, for professionals listening that may have not created their own business. Um, in your experience working elite sport, why is it important to have your own your own business on the side? Yeah, I just I think it's a it's um it's not a how do I put this? It's um it can be vulnerable at times. Uh, um, positions in elite sport, so just to have the ability to to move across to to something that you've developed on the side and and it can generate some other income for you, I think is is really important um, to develop that. So. You know, I've sort of, I suppose I've set it up so I don't have to, you know, if, if I move out of elite sport and decide to do that um, by itself, I'll, I've set up the framework for that, uh, which I can which I can jump on and develop a little bit further when I've, I've got a bit more time up my sleeve. 
Yeah, and and the online programs they're not just for for athletes or professional athletes; they're also for for Gen Pop that just want to uh, that are into their training and want want some structure in their programming. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I spoke to so I can't remember who it was, but years ago said that their daughter goes to the gym. She's got no idea what she's doing. So, um, can you write a program for her? So it's sort of um, developed from that conversation around you know people go to the gym, they don't know what to do. So um, yeah, just developing you know generic strength programs that um, people can just jump on their phones and and do while they're while they're at the gym. You know, fitness first or anytime fitness. Um, yeah, so that that's sort of the the background behind it. Awesome, mate. And and wife's on board in the physio. You got the medical and the strength and conditioning well-rounded team. Uh, dual performance. How, how did you come up with the with the name? Yeah, really, it's just the, the dual S and C and and physio. So it um, is that. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Didn't wanna... that, that, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's sort of how it how it came about. Yep. And for for the young developing footballer or, or potentially rugby player that's watching and is eager to get better in, in their um, athletic development, what would be some big rocks or some major fundamental things to focus on for, let's say, a 15-year-old um, that needs to get um, yeah, better with their athletic side to help, help their performance? Yeah, I think sort of understanding that there's a process that they need to go through. I think everyone wants to go from being a, a junior athlete to, to play at the AFL or NRL level um really quickly but they need i suppose younger athletes need to understand there is a process so with that comes setting goals and you know making them really clear and achievable so i might not necessarily you know be i want to play afl but you know improve your 2k time trial or i want to squat 120 kilos or whatever it may be um i think having those those clear goals and um you know, engage your coaches to do that. Engage your SNC coaches. Engage your, your skill coaches to be able to to be able to help you in those areas. Um, you know, they're, they're, that's probably the the big one for me is, is set goals and that are clear and achievable, and you know, work out where you're at and where you need to get to, and then what does the process look like in between? Yeah, love that, mate. Um, and and you've been in the game now for for over fifteen years. Uh, what are some methods that you take to keep upskilling yourself and uh, develop your knowledge. Yeah, I don't have a heap of time to sort of, I suppose, read journal articles and, and get on and dive into that stuff. So I rely heavily on Twitter, you know, for that information. So I follow, you know, guys that put out article, like good articles like Rod Whiteley and Tim Sukamel and Alex Matera, Chris Caviglio, um, applied guys, you know, Selwyn Griffiths. Puts a lot of stuff out there, which is really useful. So, you know, I have a, a read of a lot of that sort of stuff and then, um, you know, I rely heavily on peers in the industry. So, you know, making call, phone calls to mentors and people I've worked with in the past to, you know, have you tried this? How did it work? What was the outcome like? Um, you know, and then, you know, go on. If it's worked for them, then I'll try it myself. And, and that, that's probably what I rely on the most. Um, I, I really like the toolkit analogy, though. When you're, you're young, you start out, you don't have many tools in your kids, you don't know much. Um, you haven't read much, you haven't spoken to too many people, and then as you go, you know, four or five years down the track, you start to feel like your toolkit with more things, you know more, you speak to more people, you got more information to to access, um, and then as you get towards, a, I suppose, where I am at the moment, is you, you work out what's useful um, from your toolkit. So, um, you know, I like that as, a, as an analogy, and that, that's, I suppose that's where I am at the moment is I ask myself how does it fit into the environment that I'm in? You know, it's good information or it's good study, but how does that apply to what I'm doing right, right here and now? Yeah, I love that. I haven't heard the toolkit analogy, but, yeah, that, that resonates well, mate. It's a good one. 
um, for for those listening that it might be just started you know starting out in their career, um, how do you recommend building your networks and building those people like mentors and that sort of thing? How do you build that uh, team around you? Yeah, I think it's just um, it's getting spending time with different people. Um, have you still got me? I think my headphones are about to to die. Um, yep. Yeah, I can hear. Yeah. No. So um, yeah, I think spending time at different clubs and. And spending time with coaches and, um, you know, Rowan, when, he, when I was working with him, was just, you know, he was coaching a swimming squad and now as a head coach of the Australian swim team. So, you know, really spending, working out who, who are good people to, to spend time with and, um, you know, develop really good mentors, work out, you know, who's going to help you, who doesn't have an ego, who's not pushing their own agenda onto you and who's going to be, um, be helpful in your development. I think early on is really important. So, um, you know, develop two, three quality mentors um, in different sports and, um, you know, use them as sounding boards for different ideas. And um, that, that's probably where I, you know, rely the most on uh, coming through as those mentors that um, can really help you and, and help develop your skill set. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Thanks for that response. And, um We'll start to wrap it up, mate, but um, it's been really good sharing your experiences and, and what's worked and um, particularly speaking to someone like yourself that's worked with the Olympic athletes, so individuals in different countries, but your team-based sports both in rugby and AFL. So thanks for sharing your time. Um, what are you most excited about for 2021, mate? What's on, what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, I think you spoke about it a little bit before, but, but just trying to develop a business in the background, I think. I've, I've probably spent as much time listening to S&C podcasts as I do, you know, um, business podcasts and, and learning about Instagram and Google advertising and SEOs and all that sort of stuff, which is completely foreign to me. So it's, um, it's sort of been good to dive into that and, and learn a little bit more about um, that side of, you know, developing a business online. So that's um, that sort of... What I'm, uh, what I'm looking forward to going forward, I suppose, for the rest of the year. Fantastic, mate. Well, it's been good to connect online and, and no doubt we'll catch up for a coffee or a beer sometime face-to-face. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate having me on and I, and I think it's, it's great, you know, the information that you put out there to developing coaches and athletes and, um, you know, I, I think it's really good the way that you share the information and you obviously got quality people, uh, excluding myself on the podcast, but, you know, guys like Darren Burgess and, and uh and sell and Paul Roos and those sort of guys are, are really quality so um no thanks for for what you're doing as well i appreciate it mate thanks Alex. good stuff awesome mate thank you we'll uh we'll speak soon okay sounds good thanks Jack. cheers Alex. if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the prepare like a pro academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes, whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but 
that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.